0: A Highline Podcast.
1: Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some
0: people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people it's been
1: liberating. Take us for example. I'm Steven. I'm Josh.
2: And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been and will always be an exploratory dialogue.
0: That alone is proof that faith-raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time.
1: So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hey, y'all. Oh, hey there. How's it going? Oh, hi. Before we get started today, I have an important question for you. Mm -hmm. I would like to know what you are drinking. You'd be nervous. I didn't. I know that's a heavy hitter, like just to start off. But like, I think it's important that we talk about this stuff, you know, like have the hard conversations. Absolutely.
0: I'm enjoying a Petrus Aged Pale.
1: It's like an IPA and sour in one beer. It's very interesting. What does Petrus Aged mean? I've never heard of that.
0: No, Petrus is the brand. It's an aged pale ale and then somehow sour as well. I really don't know how to describe it. That's just what the label says. It's very curious. Does it taste good? It does taste good. It's honestly, it's very sweet. It is like super sour on the sour scale. So, Mm. But it's nice though. It's nice for kind of a a summer afternoon like this one.
2: Oh, I love it. Um, so it's sixty degrees here in Cody. Yesterday it was forty. Um, and so it is like fall weather. So I am enjoying a pomegranate hibiscus tea, hot. Ooh, and it's delicious. Wow, that sounds
1: mm-hmm. wonderful. I like it when hot tea season comes back.
2: Right. I like right? call
0: and- it soup season, but yeah, to each their own.
2: <sighs> <laughs> Don't. Don't even start, Stephen, okay? Soup can be year-round.
0: I know. That's true. Oh, speaking of which, uh, Emily, you missed one of my greatest tweets ever, and I, I said pie is, oh, just, I saw it. pie is just fruit soup in a bread bowl.
2: Uh, <laughs> you know, that
1: one I can get on top of. That, that's fine. That makes no, sense to
2: me. No. No. No, absolutely. No. Oh, my God, no. Okay. And
1: That's why it's best at room temperature. Or at least it's fruit (sighs) stew. Fruit stew in a
0: bread bowl.
2: You two need to stop before I (laughs) leave recording, find you, and punch you in the face.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's a threat, Josh. Did you hear that? While Emily goes off mic to come over here and kill me a couple thousand miles away, I am drinking a Negroni spritzer. I have some like pre-made Negroni in a Trader Joe's bottle, which is just gin, vermouth, and bitters. Mm Mm-hmm. It's pretty good, but I put a bunch of tangerine LaCroix on top of it, and then I have these like sweetened dried orange slices. Ooh. I'm not going to lie. It tastes a lot like cough medicine, but it's, I think it's good. Elise did not <laughs> like it at all. Yeah. And then I'm also drinking some lemon water, and I would like to propose that that is a second drink since like I put a thing in it.
2: Um, I'm sorry. What? That's a bunch <laughs> of crap.
1: No, I, that's fair. I think that passes. It's infused water. That's yeah, a bunch of crap. There's, I also <laughs> washed the bottle like right before, and there's like still some soap residue in the lid of my water bottle. So I'd argue that that's a form of garnish. <sighs> Yuck.
2: Um, let it be known that She's yucked me. My feelings are deeply hurt today. Okay, that is not cool. That's
1: valid. It is known. It is known. Yep, acknowledged. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, for this week's episode, we have a voice memo from our good friend and patron Reverend Courtney Clark. Who has now, I think, ascended to be the first third offering from a patron, I think. Yeah, I think she's definitely top of the leaderboard thus far. Yeah, that sounds about right. So if you're one of our patrons, uh, don't be shy. Step it up. Send us your voice memos. That's right. Always open. So let's hear from Courtney Clark.
3: I was always taught that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are perfect, And we are to strive to achieve perfection like Jesus was perfect in everything that we do. And in doing that, we are honoring God with our works, with our life. Despite grace, we still are to aim to be perfect. Because when we're perfect, we're setting an example of what true faith looks like. And I don't know if that was ever directly told to me or if it was something that I just kind of inferred, but it's really been a struggle for me to kind of break that down and tear that apart of if perfection isn't attainable, what does it mean that God is perfect and what does that mean for us as humans and how we relate to a God who is perfect
1: Wow.
0: Perfection. My first thought is the uh, the meme of Michael Fassbender in the Alien movies saying perfection.
1: I have a feeling that this kind of theological emphasis comes from this verse that I don't remember where it is, but I think it's Jesus saying like be perfect just as your father is perfect. Mhm. Something to that effect. Am I getting that right? Ooh.
0: Matthew 5:48. Be ye therefore perfect. Even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm going I'm not gonna say to yet. I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to kill the because I already know the word. So I want to hear Ooh, from you okay. guys. Okay, oh, you have the yeah, you, you
0: have the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew all ready to go, locked and loaded, as they in say in the
2: brain. I didn't even need to pull it up. So you're good. Wow.
1: So I don't know the Greek, and I would, I would almost hypothesize as a modern reader that the word perfect that's translated as perfect is not perfectly translated because like it is kind of like uh, maybe Jesus is talking paradoxically here, but like I see what Courtney is saying with the like, how do we even make sense of trying to like, if we view God as inherently perfect, like whatever that means, like without error or like sinless or like the most ideal being or something like that which is starting to sound pretty Roman already, like...
0: Agreed. Like Greek-Roman philosophy. Shooting
1: for these ideals of, like, masculinity or femininity or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what what then does it mean for us to not just strive for perfection, but, like, be perfect as, like, this... I think a lot of people do connect that, like, be perfect line to other concepts in the text, like, city on a hill... Like being like that shining example, quote unquote, for other people. Mm. But uh, like Francis Chan famously said a couple years ago, no one's getting saved because you're refusing to drink wine. (laughs) Like no no one's like... Nice. And he said like something like that. I don't remember exactly what he said, but like... It's a good one. No one's one's like looking at you, refusing to do certain things and being like, oh my God, like I have to know more about Jesus. Most likely. (laughs) Like that's not how it works. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I am also thinking about a lot of things here with her prompt. What
0: do you think, Stephen? It well, the the idea that leapt out to me was perfection despite grace or like mm. Mm. like this sense of a theology that gets handed down of uh you are already completely forgiven and made perfect by the blood of Christ. And that is what we hold on to as grace, but because a theology of works is such a taboo subject for people who are all about that kind of grace, is like it's hard to square verses, like from James, saying, "You know, "Faith without works is dead." So like it's, it's hard to square the works of perfection when you're trying to live out of an identity where you're told you're already perfect, because then the cognitive dissonance of. Well, I I, I'm supposed to believe that like I'm completely redeemed and perfect already because of my faith, like. Mm. But when I don't act perfectly according to even that moral law, then it's like I'm not sure I get to believe that about myself anymore. And it's kind of just like a self-perpetuating spiral of like. And I guess it's supposed to be where it's like, oh, I'm just once again proving my sinful nature, and now. I have returned to repentance and grace.
1: Well, I think it really depends on how people use the word perfect as well. Like like I think it can be to use Emily's words. I think it can be really life-giving and affirming to tell people like no you're already you're good. Like you're perfect. Like you are you're made in God's image, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, like very like life-focused theology and I think it's another thing to be like really shame-focused with the idea of perfection. Sure. So I feel like per, like the whole perfect perfection thing that Courtney's getting at. I feel like it's one of those like easy yeah. phrases that people just use in so many different ways.
0: Well, and and definitely to go back to one of your previous points, I think it's definitely related to that like Greek philosophy idea of like a Platonist like yeah. world of forms that gives us like the perfect model of everything that's in the realm of shadows, kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Uh which I'm, there's a lot of ways that Greek philosophy has kind of wormed its way into what is modern Christianity that, as far as I can tell, early Christianity was almost diametrically opposed to some of those ideas. I guess the other thing I'm thinking of is like an Old Testament, like a Genesis narrative precedent for what good and perfect mean. Because I think it's notable mm. that it's not translated and God saw that it was perfect. And that's the end of the first day. And then God saw and said, this is perfect. And that's the end of the second day. He says it's good. And as far as I understand the Hebrew, that's the the Hebrew word Tov, which I've heard many, uh, a Jewish scholar speak to as almost a, it's like good. That's more than perfection, but it's also Mm. a good that leaves so much room for, understandable error and mistake and accidents and like while you can't lose your tov type of goodness you can't lose perfection in that like perfection kind of comes with a rigidity when when applied to like moral codes whereas tov lets you flex a bit and kind of live into the identity with some somewhat of a, a comfort knowing i will fail but that won't like Ever negate my Toveness or my goodness. Mm. Emily, are you familiar with that word?
2: I am, yes. And you're speaking to it correctly. Oh, phew. I will add so, both with the Hebrew and the Greek, it is a quality and a quantity matter. So, oh, cool. the Greek, the Greek mm. word for perfection is teleos, which basically means to come to completeness or to be complete. It has nothing really to do in regards to being blemish free or having no faults it's coming to this idea of you have reached the epitome and again it's not saying the epitome of being good or or bad it's not not qualitative in that sense the qualitative part comes in when you tie in the idea of christian morals so when we talk about being good are we reaching the completeness of that? Like, are we striving to love our neighbor in the most capacity possible? Mm. Because if it was about quality, then faith by works would be our means of grace entirely. But for some people, it's that's not what they believe. We, you know, many Christians believe it's faith by grace, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? You're not saved by your deeds, you're saved by your faith. And so this idea of having a complete faith, having a complete understanding of who you are and who you strive to be and who God is to you and how God works in the world. That is perfection in my understanding. I don't see it as Mm. you need to be perfect in the sense of you can't make any mistakes. And that's why the Hebrew for tov is so beautiful because it's saying you can be complete, you can be whole and make mistakes because you're still worthy and still wow. ultimately loved.
0: So is is Tove generally translated the same way as Telios?
2: For the most part, yeah. There are some times that it's going to be translated differently only because the Greeks would have different words and mm. depending on the context of the Hebrew text versus how the Greeks are translating it. Sure. Um, but they're kind of yeah, words tel- that
0: are going for the same concept of like, they're going
2: for the same concept. Yeah. And all throughout oh. scripture, if you read in the Greek language, at least teleos is going to be the number one usage for perfect. I myself haven't found any that's different, but that doesn't mean there aren't. But for the most part, hmm. teleos is going to be the definition and the word that's used for perfect.
0: mm.
1: What other maybe you know this off the top of your head, are there any other instances where that word is translated as a different word in English, like with different context?
2: There's the idea of like being full grown, like maturing. Uh-huh. That's used um mm. in scripture and the word teleos is used, but we would we would see it in English as coming to maturity or coming to fruition as far as aging. Oh, that's
1: interesting. Yeah.
2: Um, I feel
0: like that's a lot of what Paul writes about.
2: It, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. That's a that's a huge Paul thing.
1: I like that. Okay, but like d- maybe that poses a theological conundrum if Jesus says "come to fruition" just as God came to fruition. Like, what does that freaking mean? Mm, mm.
2: I see it as coming to completeness. Sure, like in character yeah. and in morality and things like that, just being yep, complete.
1: But wouldn't that still Uh, propose like a process view of god maybe like god in process god can change yeah oh
0: i think it's at least indicating that like the faithful disciple is participating right in the same way in active
2: engagement right
0: right yes
2: and you got to remember this idea of completeness for god we see that as alpha and omega beginning and end and so it's it's almost like this narrative of being a complete story where Hmm. god is the beginning and the end but that's not to say the end is imminent <laughs> like we don't know what the end means and so to me i see that as this ongoing opportunity to grow and to exceed in our faith and to grow in our faith rather than i've reached the end and i can't get any better it's i can always mm. strive for more because i don't know what the end looks like
0: yeah there is a sense of like if god is truly ever present then both the beginning and the end are also ever present Mm -hmm. and that being like a regenerative, regenerative cycle of like death and resurrection just constantly happening within us. Huh? I feel like that brings uh, a new thought to me about like the role of confession of like confessing our sins to one another and to God as like, a as the process of becoming more teleos more complete of like mm-hmm. like the idea is that we we confess our sins unto god like i've i've heard it said we sin our sin into christ on the cross so that he can live his life into us and like we put those attitudes and that sin and that uh, corruption i guess for lack of a better mm-hmm. word like we put that to death As the end is ever present in the omega and like the the rebirth of it all in the alpha is like all.
2: It's basically the idea of a plant.
0: Yeah. Like the seasons of a tree. You've
2: heard you've heard you've heard. Well, like you've heard the idea of how plants thrive when you talk to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you are breathing carbon dioxide onto the plant. That is how the plant thrives. The plant then creates oxygen, which (laughs) is what you thrive on. That's so simple.
0: What the that's
1: awesome.
2: Yeah, that's basic. Jesus is a giant plant.
1: <laughs> mm. What do you think about Courtney's question about like, I don't remember exactly how she worded it, but what I heard her getting at was like the the struggle of perfection. Like, like I think even with a view of like this kind of like growth oriented, there's always more to grow in. There's always more to learn kind of idea that you guys are talking about here, as good as I think that is. I think like what I heard Courtney getting at was like how do we wrestle with like the glaring imperfections that we can clearly see in our lives when we're like trying to strive for being like Christ or being perfect or like having growing faith like
2: Mhm. I think for me at least growing up in the United States and being a woman where we are basically taught and that's the nice way of putting it um To be a certain body type and to have certain features and that is what perfection looks like. And so for me, I always see perfection, perfect, as being strictly qualitative and it's always going to be how other people perceive it. Mm. It doesn't matter how much you grow. It doesn't matter how much you have put in to changing your circumstances or to learn or to love yourself, if other people are trying to drill it into your head, this is what perfection looks like. That's damaging. And I think Christians are not, (laughs) you know, they do not get a free pass from this. Like I know plenty of people who are Christians who have this idea of, well, if you're going to be a good Christian, if you're going to be perfect in God's eyes, you need to do these certain things and you need to believe what I believe. And If it doesn't look like this, if it strays even a little bit, then it's not perfect because we are so good on putting other people's qualities onto ourselves. Like we have we have a Mm. checklist that we need to check off that other people created. And I think that's just the society, Mm. unfortunately. And I think Christians are not free from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of projection going on. Like. I myself knowing my uh like frailties or shortcomings like want to project that ideal onto someone else to be like oh it, it is at least achievable or something like that. I think like some of that shame you can have around like your own imperfection you start you you want you uh you start expecting it out in the world like as quickly as you can find it because you want to know that it's at least possible
2: and we carry around at least. I know for a while I did, and it took a while for me to even leave it behind. But we have this idea possibly for people that they know grace is out there. They know that they are loved in every way and that they're human. And yet, for some reason, this idea of, well, if you have this imperfection, oh, that kind (laughs) of sucks. Like, we're very good at telling people you're loved. God loves you. Like, there's grace. Mm. There's grace. There's grace. <gasps> oh, but you're an addict. Ooh. You yeah. know, and then it's like right. the tone changes when you interact with that person. You just yeah. told them, you just looked him in the face and said, grace is extended to you. God loves you. <gasps> oh, but you're an addict or, oh, you're divorced or, oh, you're gay. You know, it's like, Why do we do that (laughs) if we truly believed in the concept of grace and if we are to hold on to this idea of perfection being completeness, Mm. we then believe we are complete in and with God. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter if you're an addict. It doesn't matter if you're divorced. It doesn't matter if you're gay. But for some reason, (laughs) those imperfections are the things that strip people back from being close to the idea of grace.
0: Yeah. I think what that's highlighting for me is that there ought to be no room for shame within this like paradigm of grace, but also even this idea of like teleos completeness is there's no room for shame going on. And whether you, you're putting Mm -hmm. that shame on yourself or you feel like that shame is being put on you by society or your church or even God for that matter, I guess I'm thinking about like when peter attempts to walk on the water and begins sinking do you feel like it would be easy to interpret jesus saying like oh ye of little faith like why did you doubt as like shaming peter or like how you know like what what do you think jesus was going for in that moment like in the story as he's like pulling peter up because i think it would be easy to interpret that as shame but i don't feel like christ is the uh, the type of person who would put shame on anyone.
2: Yeah. I see it as a genuine concern. Like...
0: <laughs> maybe a challenge?
2: A challenge maybe, you know, because let's face it, like Peter was his number one fan if we're going to put it into layman's terms like that. Sure. And so for Peter to then start sinking, Jesus might have been kind of taken back a bit. And I think it was more of a concerned... Like whoa, hey, what's happening? More than a shameful statement.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And again, I think it's Jesus seeing Peter maybe falling away from this idea of being complete or perfect, and so for Jesus to kind of extend to to him and to say, "Is everything okay? Like, what what can I do to help?" Type of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That would maybe be one way to interpret. I don't know.
0: We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology.
2: If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between.
1: And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency.
2: For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us and we'd love to get to know you.
0: Thank you to everyone who's already supporting and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color.
1: Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People.
3: Hello and welcome to No Normal People.
0: This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life.
2: You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't with do marketable that. marketable
0: names and yeah, an audience buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names, social followings yeah. and
2: John yeah. Buzz and well, we interview people like your uncle Terry who collects model trains because he's normal.
0: We'll even interview you even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at knowpeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show.
2: And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Hey, I've been wondering, could we grab some coffee sometime? I've been wanting to check in on your walk with the Lord.
1: Wake up, that coffee trap was a bad dream. What if I told you there was a way to never get asked out for coffee again?
0: Boom, roasted. It's our own Highline blend. This coffee comes with a level of complexity and nuance never before found in your local Christian coffee shops.
1: Nice.
0: Visit highline.network/slash shop or Tap the link in the show notes to solve all of your problems.
1: And now your introverted, heretical a** can finally enjoy a cup of coffee and some f***ing goddamn peace for once.
2: Whoa. Okay. Sorry I asked. Just trying to connect a bit outside of church. Guess I'll be praying for you. Brew method's not
0: included. Coffee is extremely hot and can burn you unless you're an iced coffee heretic. Coffee not actually guaranteed to solve any of your relational problems and awkward theological conflicts or actually prevent you from getting asked out on a date. Just tell them coffee is Christian crack and you've sworn off this stuff. Results may vary.
2: Ask your pastor if consuming coffee is right for you. The Highline Blend.
1: Have you guys ever come across Christians who genuinely believe that they are sinless after being, being becoming a Christian? Oh, yeah. There's a there's a word for that, isn't there? Oh, I'm sure there is, yeah. Well, there's like I've a- I've totally
0: seen it before. It's weird. There's a belief that they are sinless and that it's like, oh, no, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of like antinomianism, which is like- Maybe? What Paul specifically tries to repudiate at one point, saying like, no, we don't go on sinning so that grace will abound oh, yeah. more. That's antinomianism. That's what I'm thinking of. But you're you're more speaking to the idea of like
1: Christians who say, Well, now I legitimately cannot like do their actions wrong. are never sin anymore. Yes. Oh, I don't know if I Which I've, is a really weird conclusion. I don't
2: know if I've ever met anyone with that belief.
1: It's been a while. Huh. I think it's very uncommon, but I've totally heard seen it and I've heard other people talk about it.
2: How would you engage in conversation with those individuals?
1: Man, yeah. <laughs> It's weird. Like, the reason I thought of that is because, like, as you guys were talking, I keep, like, in my head just, like, pulling on the threads of, like, the relationship between total depravity and perfection and, like... Ooh. Like, because, for instance, I feel like that person needs to be reined in by the idea of total depravity. Like, in that instance, Mm. I, like, see the value of total depravity. But in a lot of other cases, I think a lot of Christians use the concepts of perfection and total depravity to like justify their own actions and then justify the badness of other people's actions like we are or even if they're like even if they don't think they're perfect or sinless like falling back on their idea of like we are being made perfect like we are more Christ like than other people and those people are totally depraved whatever mm. that is mm. the other weird paradoxical thing i think that happens is like i think christians love to I think this is maybe the more common thing that I see. I I think there's a lot of people that love to focus on like them, their faith being made perfect. And like we are being made more Christ-like every day. Like we're doing our best. Uh, But when we, when we fuck up, well, we're also totally depraved. Like no one's perfect. And there's this like weird, like, like almost like you can do no wrong kind of attitude. I don't know how to explain it. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's weird.
2: It is weird. Have you, either of you ever been shamed by fellow Christians?
1: <laughs> is that a real question? Not, oh, I would say not directly. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. I would okay. say
1: more like implicitly. Okay. Mm.
2: And what was that like for you?
1: Uh, it's not great. I don't think shame is ever great. Like psychologically speaking, it's awful. It does not produce any functional positive change in people. Mm-hmm. So why would we expect it to work spiritually?
2: Cause we're stupid.
1: We're stupid. We're totally depraved.
0: <laughs> I what still, about you, Stephen? I still, well, Josh, I still feel like I want to take issue with the word "totally." Mm. <laughs> Inside mm, depraved. Okay. Like I'm still, I'm still on board with yeah. Like we, I mess up sometime. but I feel like I, f- I have so much baggage still on my shoulders around total depravity. Sure. That being especially like we're sinful hereditarily at the moment of our birth or conception depending on your belief about life. I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of baggage that goes with that one, but I'm not above acknowledging the fact that, oh yeah, I can make someone's day the worst and I can do the Mm. literal opposite of loving my neighbor and my enemy in my bad moments. So yeah, I'm depraved. I'm not sure I'm totally depraved though. Cause I think there's, there's a, I think there's a balance of like inherent goodness, like inherent Tove versus inherent, sin something like that
1: but yeah Yeah, that is a good point about total depravity
0: i've been shamed by christian i feel like when i first started dating dixie in high school i got a lot of like sideways glances from kids in my youth group being like you know she's not a christian right and it was like a whole like unequally yoked conversation and also Mm -hmm. they were all looking at me like because we had all just gone through like the true love weights purity ceremony thing and they're like hey you said you weren't going to date until 16 and me being my hormonal self i'm like I don't care. I think she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what I said last year. Right now, I feel like I want to hang out with this girl a lot and make out. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, like, shame has been part of my story there, which it kind of leads me to my next question. In regards to perfectionism, I feel like one of the necessary questions that, need to be, that needs to be asked is perfect according to whom? Like who are we allowing to define for our own lives, like what perfect looks like or what
1: complete teleos? Well, that's tov. the beauty of it, is you can kind of define it for yourself, right? Like, what do you mean be perfect is God is perfect? How is God perfect? Like, in what ways can we tangibly look at to copy other than Jesus? Mm-hmm. Do you think there are more
0: Definitions of that perfection, though, that would, because I I feel my former self and folks who might be listening to say like, no, no, you don't get to define it for yourself like in a very like subjective, relativist manner, right? Like, are there any things do that the three of us think we could point to to say these are probably more or less like objective goods or
1: perfects or I could see a lot of Christians going back to the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is strange because, like, technically those do fall under, like, Mosaic law, but for some reasons Christians love talking about those. Yeah.
0: They are kind of famous.
1: I get it. As,
0: maybe as, like, behavioral guidelines. Because I think the other part of the perfection conversation is, like, there's behavior and there's also, like, what people call, like, the internal life or matters of the heart rather than just like matters of how you behave perfectly. Like I can do apparently like even according to Jesus, I can do all the right things. I can sell all my possessions and give to the poor and I still can be out of alignment with ultimate good or ultimate perfection. Right?
1: Yeah. Like I think that that's what gets choppy. Like with the, people get to define the perfection on their own terms like i was being Mm -hmm. a little snarky there but like i think that it is very unclear what the tangible byproduct should be of aiming for perfection like Mm -hmm. i think a lot of church like that's the reason why churches have different policies because like (laughs) like maybe in a similar way to uh like other moral and behavioral codes uh exist and develop over time like even though it's more likely to happen in antiquity like I think it still happens today, like in companies and in churches. Like, someone does something outrageous, and you're like, well, we can't let that happen again. It's now our policy that that can't happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and I think it happens in like really little ways. Like, I think it happens in codified ways, and I think it happens in social, non codified ways too. Like, for instance, I think a really good example is the quiet time classic. Like, for some reason, that became associated in Protestantism as relationship with Jesus, and like, this is the way you become a Christian. These are the methods. This is the way to have a relationship with Jesus is to have a quiet time, read your Bible every day, pray. That's it. Hmm. And then like when that became like the rote prescription the checklist, like, yeah, yeah. Like if you've done it, arguably you're good because like that was equated with having a relationship with Jesus and like nothing else, like no, no monastic metanoia of the self for like everyday living. It was just like. Do these things, check the boxes. And I, I do think that that is a danger of like the, the focus on perfectionism is that like it's not clear in the text. It's not outlined. There's not a checklist. There's not even the, oh, okay. This might be a small tangent, but like I've been thinking a lot about the difference between being biblical and being Christ like. And there's been a little bit of discourse on Twitter about this recently, but I've, I feel like I've been even thinking about this a lot more this last year too because i think i see a lot of christians falling back on the the phrase i just want to be like jesus and i feel like that that's kind of like a it feels like a show stopping version of perfectionism like how can you say no to being like jesus kind of thing versus like i think some christians write off the perfectionist idea as like being too legalistic or something but i would argue i think no i would argue <laughs> that jesus is not asking us to be like him. We're not meant to do all of the things that Jesus did. Like whether you, whether you believe that like we need to make a textual argument for that or just like by the story of Jesus like I th- I think that we can strive to be like this kind of gets at what we were talking about with Emily's episode a couple ago about Christ figures I think. Like we can strive to like act certain ways and like have certain values, but like Jesus is not asking us to be born of a virgin and be crucified and resurrected. Like right. there's lots of things in the Jesus story that were not meant to do, so I don't know. I've like, had that rolling in the back of my head as we've had this conversation about perfectionism, and I'm not really sure the best way to tie it in. But I feel like I notice that when people talk about huh. like being perfect or like being like Christ, like I almost see those like intertwined. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's there's this idea of what does it mean to be like Christ are we referring to being like in the sense of a copy or are we referring to the sense of similar? So I'm thinking, you know, of course I would bring this up, but like my big fat Greek wedding where the dad at the wedding was like, their last name means orange and our last name means apple. They're different, but they're both fruit, you know, like it's hard to compare when they're both the same thing just in their own way. And I think, We are called to be in that regard where we are both fruit, but we are different types Mm. of fruit. So Jesus is his own type of fruit and we all are our own type of fruit, but we are all doing the same in the sense of carrying characteristics and morals that align with life giving theology and striving for completeness in the world. Whether or not that's good, I don't know. <laughs> because again, people have this idea of what perfect and good looks like. And to some yeah. people, that even changes. Look at body image and like what was considered to be beautiful throughout history. Back in Roman and Greek culture, if you were a big woman, you were beautiful. And nowadays, if you're a big woman, you're considered fat or out of shape. And so it's the idea of even what perfection and good looks like changes over time. So why Why do we have this idea of other people creating the checklist when people change? <laughs> like, it's yeah, not going to be set in stone.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I think the church has done that historically, too. And is continuing to do that. Yeah, 100%. Which I also don't think is bad, either. Like, I think that's what's difficult about yeah this subject is, like, I don't think change is bad. And I, I don't think that, like valuing different things at different times is bad either like whether it's us personally or like the church historically or a country i don't think that's bad like i do think you're right that our our perception of perfection changes
2: so here's a loaded question then i'm ready are you perfect
1: no no i'm i am the worst of sinners i am i am far from perfect
2: you're not complete
1: Man, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a hard one. Like I think that that's what's still interesting to me about this subject is like how how can we recognize our striving mm-hmm. while also healthily recognizing our shortcomings?
2: I call myself perfectly imperfect. <laughs> I'm complete in the sense of I'm still working on it. <laughs> like I have figured out what I need to figure out and now it's a matter of, okay, now how do I do that? Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Because I know that that changes and I change over time and my faith changes over time. But at least I know that. And I'm complete in that idea.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So that is at least perfect.
0: Yeah, Emily, I think you're speaking to my instincts of, I, I, I don't know if we're allowed to define our perfection within a, like a discrete moment. Mm-hmm. and rather that is reflected in the process of being and you know i think that that probably betrays my uh my fandom for process theology in general is that like i don't think we can just lift a discrete moment out of time and say in this moment stephen or emily were perfect and in the next they weren't it's right i think it's defined by the process, you know, whether that be by striving or by a, like an open handed kind of like relaxing into that perfection. Right. And just like living out moment by moment in what ways we feel called to by Christ, I guess. Um, I feel like it comes down like when we when we're considering perfection, according to whom I feel like it comes down to who you choose to give, I guess, authority to define it for you. And whether that be yourself and say, I'm not going to let anyone else define perfection except for me, or, you know, some people would say, and I would be included in these, like, I think probably the Sermon on the Mount is a good place to start. Like, if we just want to consider Matthew 5 through 7, if I want to look to what, How I ought to be, and I know ought is a big philosophical word, how I ought to be behaving. I think Matthew 5 through 7 is a good place to start. You know, some people take the Ten Commandments. Some people take the entirety of the uh, Mosaic Law. Some people take Paul over the Sermon on the Mount. Like, they're choosing to give weights and authorities to these different sources of what perfection could look like for us. And I think each ought to have a decent reason for why they look to why they privilege certain definitions of perfection over others. Yeah. Cause I don't think it's wrong that many, many people coalesce around like the Bible as a whole as something to define goodness or perfection, or whether they choose to be selective about it, like I do, like more or less the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like a larger guiding principle than. The Ten Commandments, because I feel like the Ten Commandments are kind of like subsumed into the Sermon on the Mount in some way.
1: Do you both think that Jesus set the standard for us? Because I think that that's where a lot of the discussion in perfectionism is. Like, Emily, I really liked Mm. your point about like beauty standards. Like, there's often these standards that are set by someone else or like by a social entity that we then feel like is the expectation for us. So do we think that Jesus is the expectation of standard for the everyday Christian? Hmm.
2: I would say yes, but I am always curious about whether or not it was intentional. You know, was it just an accidental kind of happy byproduct of the whole Mm. Jesus narrative and who historically Jesus was? You know, it's like the guy that created styrofoam but didn't mean to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, was that, was that what happened?
0: <laughs> That's funny. I feel like flipping it on its head a little bit, Josh, to answer the uh, question.
2: Fine.
0: And I want to say while, while I think Jesus, yes, set the standard, I think it's easy to look at Jesus and think, Oh wow, the bar is so high. And Mm. I'm almost inclined to say in the in the same kind of like upside down kingdom culture that a lot of people talk about when it comes to Jesus, I almost want to say yes, he set the standard, but I think he came with a message to prove just how actually low the bar is. To like love your enemy, love your neighbor. Like that is really how it all condenses, right? Like from from the, uh, the mouth of the scholar himself, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. It's like, that's what it condenses to. So Jesus set the standard. I also think part of it is almost proving that the bar is actually much lower than we think it is.
1: Yeah, totally. Although I think I would make a distinction between Jesus's teachings and Jesus's life. Like I think some Christians... Focus a lot more on Jesus's life than Jesus's teachings, and certainly there are things to learn. But like, I think that that distinction maybe helps bring up my point earlier about like there's some things that Jesus did that like we're not called to do. Like we can't necessarily map that onto our life, or if we do, it has to be metaphorical. Like we we're not going to drive taxpayers out of the temple. We don't really have an equivalent of that, but we can preach against greed. You know. Like, and I agree with you, Stephen. That I do think the bar is a lot lower than some people make it seem. I just think that there's like an immense pressure with perfectionism, especially like even if it is Jesus-focused. Like, I think it's very difficult for for us to like look at Jesus as the perfect one or like whatever you define that as. But like looking at Jesus as the archetype person to follow in the footsteps of. I think it's so hard to like look at that and like not feel like a failure versus like what you're saying with looking at Jesus's teachings and realizing that Jesus is asking us to revolutionize our everyday life that is attainable. Like that's like, that's a, that's a process. That's growth. That's not like a one thing. Like I just need to accomplish this one thing and it's done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what confuses me about people who fall back on the, not really an excuse, but they fall back on the phrasing of, like, I'm just trying to be like Jesus versus I'm trying to grow in the way that Jesus told me I should grow or something Mm. like that. Mm. I don't know. The framework feels very distinct to me. And it feels like perfectionism to me. Was this a perfect episode? Did we do it? (laughs) I think it was. (laughs) This is the perfectest episode we've ever made. I do declare.
2: I do declare. (laughs) I think you're on to something. I don't know. Maybe it's for you all to judge. Maybe it's for you all to decide.
0: I don't think we've ever done this, but I'm curious to replay Courtney's message. Oh, yeah. (gasps) To see if we missed anything that we could possibly address in some short final thoughts.
2: Okay.
1: Like, um, my hypothesis is that we miss nothing because we are perfect hosts. We are perfect as... Yeah. Um, our Heavenly our, Father is perfect. As Joe Rogan is perfect. Okay. Our Heavenly Father... Pod- <laughs> Sorry, that was... That, I could think of any other Josh, like, famous floor listen,
0: <laughs> Josh, listen. That was truly the first heretical thing that's ever been said on this podcast.
1: <laughs> I, I can accept that. Truly.
0: I will, I will push to be more perfect. You need to submit to a council of correction. Right now, please. I absolutely repent. Yes. Yes.
1: I plan to be this podcast host for another twenty years. And I'm (laughs) All right, let's hear from Courtney. What's your before we go
0: down this road too far.
3: I was always taught that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are perfect, and we are to strive to achieve perfection like Jesus was perfect in everything that we do. And in doing that, we are honoring God with our works, with our life. Despite grace, we still are to aim to be perfect because when we're perfect, we're setting an example of what true faith looks like. And I don't know if that was ever directly told to me or if it was something that I just kind of inferred, but it's really been a struggle for me to kind of break that down and tear that apart of if perfection isn't attainable, what does it mean that God is perfect and what does that mean for us as humans and how we relate to a God who is perfect?
2: Okay, I have a thought. Shoot. Okay, if I'm holding on to the idea of perfect or perfection being this idea of complete or being complete, Mm-hmm then don't half ass anything like i don't think god half ass anything when you know creating us and loving us you know at least i would hope not mm. so if we're going to strive to be complete if we're going to strive to be perfect don't half ass it if you're going to love your neighbor love your fucking neighbor like if you're going to if you're going to doubt or if you're going to feel uh, lost and you're trying to figure things out Don't half-ass it. Like, (laughs) go for it. Because anything that's half-assed is not worth it. I like that. In my opinion. Like, I would rather... Like, if you're going to say you hate me, then say it with conviction. You know what I mean? Like, don't just say it for the sake of saying it. If you say you love me, don't just say it for the sake of saying it. Say it because you mean it. And don't half-ass anything in life. If you whatever it is you're doing, whether it's in your faith, whether it's in your job, whether it's with your family, your friends, yourself, don't ever sell yourself short by not putting in the best of your effort and the fullest of your attention, because Mm -hmm. that is all we can do. And I think this idea of limited time, because we're human, really emphasizes that. Like We have however much time we have, so do it the best and the most that you can. Don't half ass anything in life.
1: Yeah, I like that. Therefore, full ass as full your father ass. in heaven full asses.
2: <laughs> yes. Not a quarter ass, not a half ass, not even three quarters ass. Full on 100% ass.
0: You guys are killing me with this explicit tag this episode. You're right. Wow. Hey, it's
1: in the Bible, man. The, the word ass is so prominent in the Bible. We need to have better ass theology. Well, then <laughs> Taking
0: that cue, uh, I think what occurred to me in this last one, after reframing perfection as like Telios and Tove, like goodness, completeness, epitome of, I think that, I think my takeaway is that the creator, god of the universe, however you want to say that, throughout this entire project has been just wishing that we would get it through our thick skulls, that we were always complete and we were never not complete. And we're always inside of that completeness as long as we are inside God. And to me, I believe that we are all inside God as that alpha omega figure, as the panentheistic embodiment of the Holy Spirit, like that just like permeates everything. I think that's the gift of the high Christologies of the first, uh, first chapters of, like Ephesians and Colossians from Paul is like Christ through all in all. And it really just, I always come back to Luke 15, but it really reminds me of the father telling the older son toward the end of the story of the prodigal son is like, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And I think that is just something that this entire project of Jesus of Nazareth and like the cosmic Christ alongside the, Holy Mother, Holy Father, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, like all of like it all is just to tell us like the only reason you think you're imperfect or that you're incomplete is because you were lied to and convinced that was true, but it was never true of you.
1: That's right. We did it. I'm going to err on the side of different strokes for different folks. I think some people do need to hear that they're perfect and good and complete and that they're made in the image of God, and I think other people don't need to hear that. Like the narcissist doesn't need to hear that. the The depressed person who like just wants help and support doesn't need to hear that. And I think it's 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 a it's an underappreciated difficult topic in Christianity to talk about perfectionism and our failures. And uh, I feel Courtney's struggle with like trying to word it correctly. So that's where I land. Delightful. Emily, do you have a perfect ending?
2: No. (laughs) But I will say, this idea of striving for perfection, what does that even mean? What can that look like? I don't know if we'll ever find an answer to that. And maybe that's the perfect thing, is knowing that we may never find the words for it, the way to see it, and the way to overcome it, but we can at least strive and we can try and putting our whole heart and effort into being authentically ourselves and loving people and showing kindness and goodness in the world, to me, is a glimpse of perfection that I hope everyone would want.
3: Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.